0: one of God's purposes in the wilderness, and it's one that is difficult for me, and I think for us, and that is that God leads us into the wilderness to display his wonders. God leads us into the wilderness to display wonders. When the kingdom of God, we see in the New Testament, comes to a place The gospel is declared, that is that Jesus is king, that he's defeated death and sin and um, alienation. That the presence of God is near, but that gospel declaration is confirmed and proved through signs and wonders. Now, I know that in the room, there are going to be all sorts of thoughts going on. Um, Some of us are going to be immediately thinking, well, yeah, obviously, and have no problem whatsoever with hearing such things. Others of us are going to say, I have questions. Some of those questions might be surrounding uh, ways that you have seen the miraculous talked about in church and people manipulated through miraculous signs or powers that people claim to have. We're not talking about that. We're talking about who God is fundamentally coming into the world that we live in day by day and our need as we follow him faithfully, guess what will happen? We will run into conflict between the calling to live into his kingdom and the world opposing our following of him. I wanna shoot you totally straight The world, when you leave this room, even like some of the stuff that goes on in here, is gonna make following Jesus hard. And so we're given a choice. The choice is either compromise between the world and our following of Jesus, play by its rules, or, Wait as faithfully and as best as we can, and I'm not saying that it's easy or clear all the time. Saying, Jesus, I wanna be faithful to you, but the world as I'm faithful to you feels like it's closing in on me. I mean, some of my classmates are giving a 100 hours of their week to set the curve on me. How am I possibly gonna be in community with your people and coming to church? The workplace is just, pressing in on me and has all of these demands and it makes it so hard for me to dwell with you without being flooded with anxiety. My kids seem like they're wandering from you and the only way I know how to transform them is by trying to control them more. My hope today is by looking at this story in scripture, we would see that our unchanging God, meets us, delivers us, and is capable and actually desires to perform wonders in our lives as we wait upon Him in the wilderness. So that when we enter the promised land seasons of life, we would not be so blind as to not need Him and depend on Him. So, one other thing that I want to note. We need to own the lenses that our materialist, secular lenses have been ingrained upon us. If you believe the scriptures and if you trust in the teaching of Jesus, you fundamentally believe that what is unseen is more real than what is seen. Did you know this? The Apostle Paul himself said what is seen is transient. What is unseen is eternal. There are things that are more real in our lives, than what we can see, than these things that are here. And we know ultimately that Jesus, in the good news, the declaration is that everything is going to be made new anyway. So, I want to suggest to us, and this is some of your first time here with us today, um, I want to suggest to us that we need to be open to God doing whatever He wants to do. He is God. We, we have the opportunity to be expectant for him to move in surprising ways, and we need to humbly seek faithful obedience to him in the difficulties of life. If we can do those things in a non-weird, everyday, natural kind of way, not like holding up signs and wonders as some sort of spiritual superiority over other people, we might just be shocked at how near and present and tangible the presence and power of God is. So, first thing we need to see in this passage is that obeying God will lead you into the wilderness. Obeying God will actually lead you into the wilderness in some seasons. Look with me at verse one. Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for them to drink. Real quick, the context of this story, Exodus 17, the people of Israel numbering almost two million people by estimate, 600,000 men recorded, not including women and children. Two million people probably delivered from slavery in Egypt led out into the wilderness of Sinai on the way to the promised land in modern day Israel. God himself appears leading them during the day, this huge pillar of a cloud leading them day by day through the wilderness. At night, pillar of fire. The pillar would be moving while God wanted to lead them. The pillar would stop when um, God was calling them to camp. Here we see that God calls them to camp in a place where there's no water. But don't miss it, God himself had them stop here. No water. This challenges our assumptions about what it means to be a person serious about God and following Jesus, right? I mean, how many of us were sold a gospel that said, Hey, follow Jesus, and your life will just overflow with joy. Everything you need will be provided for you. Um, There will be less suffering in your life, less difficulty in your life. Now, it's tricky, right? Because there are things that are true in those statements. But how you experience them coming to be true in your life is just more complicated than that. And sometimes, We need to accept that God's ambition and desire to teach us truths about him surpass our felt needs for what we think we need. So obeying God will sometimes lead us deeper into the wilderness. Um, If you're following Jesus right now and that makes it hard, if that makes your life harder in trying to be serious about Jesus and centering your life on him, know that that is not because you're doing it wrong necessarily. It might be because you're doing it really correctly and you're feeling the tension of that. Oftentimes though, when we're in those seasons of difficulty, a wilderness season just means a season where you feel lack, a season where things are a bit scary, a season where there's a lot of unknown in your life. Obeying God can lead you into the wilderness. Don't be deceived though. When you choose to bank your life on Jesus Christ, you are not banking your life first and foremost on comfort and prosperity. You are actually decentering yourself from your life so that the one who can uphold your life can take the center. Every human being, regardless of whether you would identify as a Christian in the hearing of my voice right now, the scriptures uphold that you were made by, through, and for Jesus Christ. He is not one option among many. And when he came, he said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. So let's not you know, just say that following him is hard and difficult and suffering. There are glorious wonders, but it's complicated. It's complicated. And what makes it complicated is that it's oftentimes so difficult to keep our eyes on him in the wilderness. Verses 2 and 3, we see that the wilderness exposes our hearts and invites us to know God more powerfully. Read with me verses 2 and 3. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with this thirst? So first response of Israelite people being drawn out is to look to Moses and say, hey, what what is going on here? It seems totally normal. Ask your leader, Um, hey, did you calculate everything correctly when you were making this kind of map? Like, let's not be so proud as to think, oh, I would have entirely just prayed and said, God, um, I trust you, but I have a question. My throat is very parched right now, which tells me I'm very thirsty on the inside, and I'm looking around and not seeing any sources of water, so I'm just wondering what you might do about that. (laughs) Maybe you are way more like Jesus than I am, but I can resonate with this. When trouble and difficulty kind of closes in, my knee-jerk reaction so often is to look to other people around me to fix it or to look into my own mind and try and you know calculate how exactly I can deliver myself from the circumstance. But here's the thing, here is the thing. Um, if we want to uh, draw nearer to God in the midst of difficulty, we need to rehabituate, cultivate this heart posture that says, when I am struggling, when I am afraid, when I am anxious, help me learn, Holy Spirit, to let the first thing I do be pray, to direct the eyes of my heart back to God rather than to my circumstances or the leaders around me. Um, We are a church that is devoted to learning to love prayer. Learning to love prayer. For the longest time we had a weekly prayer meeting and we were just committed to learning how to pray together and we were honest about the fact that probably the biggest hurdle to learning to live a life of prayer in our 21st century West LA context is just don't like it that much. It's hard. There's no magnetic gravitational pull that drives us to find satisfaction and life in praying. And we want to be totally honest about that. And so, these kinds of moments that are difficult are an invitation to us to pray. The people go to Moses and say, fix our problem. Why'd you do this? I think you misheard on that line that you have before God. You wouldn't certainly lead us here. And it, it says that they actually were quarreling with him. So they were going to him, blaming him for getting them lost here in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure we all love following leaders into difficult circumstances and totally trusting human beings with our own well being. Um, no, we're Americans. We don't like to submit to anyone. We blame, like politics is literally about blaming the other party right now so that we can feel good about ourselves and the plan that would be enacted if we just had the right leaders in office. There's nothing new about that, (laughs) nothing at all. No, the invitation is not to blame, blame leaders, though sometimes they are worthy of blame, don't hear that. Abuse is always wrong in leaders. But over all of our lives, the circumstances and the chief need of our life is to be with God in the difficulty is to go to Him with our need. And they're quarreling comes out as an accusation towards Moses, and then it ultimately becomes a narrative declaration about him. He was planning to bring us out here to kill us the whole time. Eek. I mean, I don't even, you guys get this. I don't even need to dive into all the COVID controversies of blaming this person, blaming that person. If we had the right governor, if we had the right, we're in a global pandemic. We, we can't control a global pandemic. We see this, yes? And we might have had ways that we strongly believe could have been handled differently, but those need to be held under the fact that we as human beings are subject to the broken world. We do not control the broken world. It will always burst in and ruin our plans. And so rather than say we could control it if we had the right leaders in place, in the church, or outside the church, in government, or in our university, or classroom, humbling ourselves to say, God, what is going on? We need you, please help us. Because here's the truth. Here is, I'm not the first to say this, many others have said this. Although the Israelites were free from slavery in Egypt, God brought them into the wilderness to get the slavery out of their hearts. God brought the Israelites into the wilderness because they were still living in the conditioning of slavery in their hearts. This is radical. I don't know if you know this, but if you follow Jesus, your fundamental belief in the truth of Scripture says, God is my life, his love is my life. Not food, not clothing, even things that are real needs in our creatureliness. Our life is hidden with Christ in God, not here on this earth. And when we become enslaved to believing that our life is found here in our circumstances or in our bank accounts or in our um, leaders, what we start doing is living as slaves rather than in the freedom and power of God with us. That's why the psalmists repeatedly declare these things that sound so outlandish in our day. Like, um, your love is better than life, so my lips will praise you. Well, what do you mean? If my life needs to be a living life in order to love God, of course my life is better than his love. That's not true. He's remaking everything and you're gonna live forever. We're not bound by these circumstances and when we start to subtly believe we are, We experience a kind of spiritual slavery, and that's where what the Bible calls idols grip us. It's where idols grip us. So the wilderness exposes slavery in our hearts because nothing but Jesus has our good in mind. The wilderness exposes the heart slavery of Israel. God invites us to trust him and watch as he provides, and this is where his wonder-working comes in. Verse 4, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses just bows his knees before God, and God has a plan for providing water. The question is, did God lead them into the wilderness? where there was no water, intending to provide water for them. What do you think? What do you think? Yes! Wow! That is true. (laughs) That is good theology. God led them into a place with no water, intending to provide water for them. If you do not believe that, you believe that God uh, you believe something really scandalous about God, right? You you believe that God leads people into circumstances that will destroy them, rather than inviting them into experiencing His goodness and provision and grace and glory. So, real quick, um, Moses just is honest with the problem. He's like, "These people are going to kill me. What the heck do I do? There's no water." What would we do if we were in Moses' position? Well, um, many have commented that the alternative to um, religion in America is not atheism, it's actually politics. And if you've been around our church at all, you know that we do not shy away from talking about anything that rises to the level of controversy, difficulty, um, and might be offensive. So. I just apologize if there's anything that I say that you find deeply offensive right now, but we're gonna be equal in holding up both political parties and saying, what solutions might they tell us would be good and see their shortcomings? So if Israel were a Republican nation, someone would invent a means for accumulating water in a waterless place, then sell it for a profit based on supply and demand, and that person would ascend to the place of Lord among the people. They would spend some of their money to buy up other water-making techniques to keep their prices high, stave off competition. Those without water might be called lazy. Those with water would simply be examples of hardworking Israelites. Anyone who wants water would be told simply to submit themselves to the functional slavery of trickle-down economics and work their whole lives for a bit of water and bread while the rich get richer off their labor. When people critique the system and wonder if there's a better way, they might be called Marxist, anti-American, until they conform their opinions to the narratives of those in power. Many would say, well done, good and faithful American. But here's the thing that doesn't get the slavery out of their hearts. If Israel were a nation of Democrats, Everyone would pitch in money to create a huge infrastructure uh, governmentally for bringing in water from miles away. Someone would take advantage of the bureaucracy somewhere in the red tape to gain a place of lordship among God's people. Those without water would be called victims but not helped by their neighbors and instead told to go to the water department where an employee would tell them to fill out 10 pages of forms only to be told by another employee later that they were told to fill out the wrong forms, need to start over again and die of thirst in the process. When people critique the system and wonder if there's a better way, they'd be called bigots, hateful, until they conform their opinions to the narratives of those in power. And many would say, well done, good and faithful American. But that solution doesn't get the slavery out of people's hearts they're still in bondage. Their vision is still this world. What solutions can we make to our problem? And that is the same question in Genesis that humanity came to, and their solution was the Tower of Babel. We can ascend to heaven and have no more need if we just band together in the right way. And God smashes that project for the good of humanity. Because Jesus is not just savior of a few people who choose to follow him. He is the only savior of the world who can help us truly be free and experience life to the full. And the wilderness helps us see our knee-jerk compulsions so that we would not rely on God, but rely on ourselves or the solutions of others. So, what do we see? Keeping our eyes on Jesus and our hearts open to him in the place of desperation will place us in the path of his wonder-working power. Exodus 17, five through seven, as we finish this passage, the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you will strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Here's why signs and wonders matter. We can't fit into the idolatry of the world's systems following Jesus and come out on the other side, closer with Jesus, more full of faith and hope and love. The world has a really well-oiled machine and it wants you to fit into its cogs and its spindles, and it doesn't care if you, if you wanna say you're a Christian, as long as you don't let Jesus make it so you don't fit so well in the system. Looking back through the New Testament, we see that the provider for Israel of the water was Jesus himself. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul looks backwards on this same story and says that Jesus was the provider, In verses one through seven of 1 Corinthians 10, for I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Jesus is not a New Testament addition to the story of God leading his people. As the eternal son, he was the one leading the people of God through the wilderness. And now on this side of his incarnation, we have, it's like we've been pulled all the way up front and center to see the wonders of who God is and what he offers us. So we need to recover the expectation that as we follow Jesus, we will not fit in the world. So here's my invitation and a question for you. Do you feel any pressure following Jesus in your life every day? Like in your everyday life, not saying each day you feel the pressure, but do you feel any sort of pressing in upon you as you seek to follow Jesus, trusting him, obedient to him? Or do you feel like, it? no, it's pretty easy. Do you have community that can help you in that conversation? Most of the reason we don't even feel need for God to help us in crazy, wondrous ways is because we buffer ourselves from needing Him. We guard our conscience from taking Jesus' word seriously, and we can even harden our hearts from being dependent on God. So here are a few examples some mundane examples of wonder-working ways of God in our life, okay? Basic principle is if you want to follow Jesus, it will make your life more difficult. And here are some ways. In work and school, um, we're called to refuse to let our job become our religion and our boss becoming our Lord or our TA or teacher becoming our Lord by giving them neither our heart to fulfill us nor our calendar to enslave us. If we have one Lord in Jesus and living as a faithful follower of him means that we need our trust to be placed in him in meaningful ways. So if as we obey him and worship him, we trust him for the grade we need for his plan for our life. We trust him to build our resume and our boss's opinion of us for the promotion we might need. And that's what, Psalm 16, or Proverbs 16 says, the heart of kings is in the hand of the Lord. Give favor wherever he wills. So there might come a moment where you need to tell your teacher or your boss that you're eager to work hard, you're you're striving to get an A in the class, but you can't work late or take a final exam on Sunday mornings for church. Um, And rather than just cave to whatever their requirements of you might be, communicate both, hey, I wanna do well in this class or work, but I also wanna be faithful to my spiritual belief in Jesus. Do we have that kind of tension in our hearts and minds? Because then you might need your wonder-working God to give you favor in the heart of your boss or your teacher or your coworkers, okay? There's one example. Marriage, this one's twofold. First one, we don't center ourselves on our spouse. The saying, happy wife, happy life, is not a Christian virtue. But we center our marriage on Jesus. So we hold one another in grace and mercy because we don't need their transformation in order to be happy. But we extend grace upon grace to them, and we're honest with them. But our hearts together are committed to prioritizing the kingdom of God, over-prioritizing our marriage. So, maybe you should serve with strong families, a ministry of Olive Crest, and bring kids even into your small apartment that will disrupt your happy little, you know, perfect environment of your uh, home, and maybe even disrupt your ability for, (sighs) Oh man, I gotta say this, because this is real. Um, it might disrupt your alone time, or even opportunity for intimacy, but then, <laughs> all kinds of intimacy, but then you might need your wonderworking God to give you energy beyond what you thought possible and joys you serve together. Flip side of marriage. Maybe it's not believing the lie that marriage requires you to find a perfect spouse, and you can't get married until then optimizing behaviors to annoy each other less, or centering your life around your marriage and excusing yourself from sacrifice. Maybe for you, trusting God is marrying an imperfect person, no matter how many perfect options online dating may present to you, and then you might free yourself and your wonderworking God to make you more resilient as he progressively transforms you and your spouse. What about parenting? Letting the sacrifices of faithfulness to Jesus as a family disrupt your children's lives so that they don't live like other kids. You don't skip church for sports so that the wonder of Jesus becoming real to them makes it seem like you actually follow him. There's a reason that many children walk away from their faith, and it's because their parents don't look like they care about Jesus except on Sunday mornings, if that. Your kids might not have the same lifestyle as those around them, but then you might need your wonder working God to give your kids confidence that Jesus is real and worth living for and makes himself real to us when we live for him. All right, one more. Money. We refuse to believe the American nightmare that says greed is good and consumerism is joy and money is power. If we can't imagine giving away 30, to 50% of our income, and still being happy and secure, we don't have a biblical kingdom of God vision. Let me say that one more time. If we can't imagine giving away laughable amounts of money, and still being content and filled with joy and purpose in life, We don't have the vision of the kingdom of God. We have a vision that's a lot more in line with the world. Now, I'm not saying you need to give 30 to 50% of your income. This is like imagination so that you could pray and say, Jesus, would you let me just make enough money so that I can be recklessly generous? Because you yourself said in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, then your wonder working God might need to provide for your kid's college. Or your wonder-working God might need to provide for an emergency that comes later on. Or a cancer diagnosis and the money that's required. So do you see how we're not talking about merely miraculous signs and wonders that just you know hit a rock and water floods out. We're talking about reliance on God that as we are faithful and it's hard in the world, He provides. I'll never forget, we were fundraised, my family and I, when we moved down here from Seattle to start this church and we lost a ton of supporters when we moved down here. The, The financial pressure on us, literally having thousands of dollars a month that was supposed to be paid to us, not being paid to us, was crushing. And I remember opening my mailbox and had this like groan in my stomach that was more like, ugh, please God provide. And I opened my mailbox without even verbalizing that prayer and there was a $13,000 check in it. That's just more normal than we are ready to accept when we follow Jesus. But guess when Jesus is not going to do that? When we're saving up enough money to not need him anymore. Here is a fundamental element of the kingdom of God and what Jesus is like. If you do not need Jesus anywhere, he just doesn't care to show up. He's not going to force himself on you. Jesus doesn't force himself on people. He goes where he's wanted. That's why in the New Testament, there's a difference between being sealed with the Spirit, which every believer in Jesus has, and being filled with the Spirit, which is about participating with his work. Um, Yeah. I'll share one story about the more miraculous side of God providing as we trust him. Um, When we first met as a church, we actually, in 2017, we were sent out from Reality LA and we met in this space. It was not upside down coffee. It was unnamed, unmarked, quasi art studio. It was smaller than this. There was no coffee bar. There was this glass cage over there that was our kids' ministry. And there was no soundproofing whatsoever. And so people were walking along the sidewalk looking in at all the children being watched and we could hear them all out here. And at first, Isaac, the director here, one of my good friends, preached here, taught here a couple weeks ago. Um, he said, yeah, you guys, when you're, you know, our first week was actually out at a park and anything is better than a park. We walk out on the grass and it was wet. It had just been watered that, that morning. Just really difficult. So he says, yeah, you can be here maybe for like three weeks because we're about to, we're about to uh, do renovations. Okay, great, three weeks go by. I'm texting him on Thursday of that week. They have permits that are in with the city. And he says, hey, yeah, not gonna happen this week. You guys are good to meet there. Whew. Okay, send a message out to the whole church core team. We're back here again. There are about 50, 70 people a week. And um, next Thursday rolls around. Hey, um, can we meet, can we meet here again? The whole time in between weeks we're walking around canvassing all the restaurants, the theaters. We're finding out that people are either looking at us weird like no you can't meet here for church or they're like yeah you can meet here for church just give us two grand a week. And we're like we're poor, we don't have that. (laughs) And so we go back to, I text Isaac hey dot 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 this week question mark. The three ellipses come, I'm holding my breath. Yeah you're good, still hasn't come through. I think it was like 14 weeks go by of that, and we were able to meet here. And a principal uh, of our kid's school follows up with me one week and says, hey, you guys need to come and meet here. That was how all of the, week by week, we were literally dependent on God's provision for us to even have a space to meet in. And God is generous to provide, and then the following week, construction started here. I say that simply to encourage you as you are dependent on Jesus, seeking to to faithfully obey Him and take Him seriously, even when it feels like the world is pressing in on you, He will provide for you, amen? So, let's not close off our hearts to his provision. Let's not deaden our consciences to obeying him and taking him seriously, and let's pray for help day by day. Would you pray with me? Jesus, um, would you help us to believe that you are more real you are more near you are more powerful than we dare to obey and i pray for us as a people as a church that we would be the kind of people that are so open-handed with our lives and with our community that we would see the needs around us and we would Just obey your call to love our neighbors regardless of the cost. I pray that you would help unfurl our hands from the things we hold precious other than you. And would you help us to open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to praying for bold, needful things rather than securing ourselves against you and your kingdom. Because Lord, We want to put everything, all of our chips, in your corner, Jesus, not in our own. Thank you that we don't need to be the Savior of our lives. We don't even need to be Lord of our lives. And it's far better. But we are feeble in faith. We doubt you every day. Thank you for your mercy. Build us up. Help us to grow in faith and hope and love. And teach us to love prayer and dependence on you. All God's people said. Amen. Amen.